continue our study through the book of 1 Peter. We're finishing out chapter 2 today. And the title of the sermon is Submission, Our Wise Witness. I don't know if you're seeing a theme to the way I'm titling these. It wasn't intended, but why break up a good thing? We had salvation, our joy and trials. We had the word of God, our power for perfection. We had the royal priesthood, our merciful identity. And now Peter brings us into what's next. All of these other uh, setups have been preparing us to know who we are and whose we are and what we're supposed to do to grow in our relationship with Christ because that's the first priority of a Christian. But now we're moving into how do we interact with this world because we still find ourselves here. Uh, when we open the book of 1 Peter, we say, hey, sojourners, pilgrims, the dispersion, those that are all over the world, this is for you. And we looked at the fact that Peter had placed us in the shoes of dispersed Israel who had been spread across the world and still was trying to maintain their identity as God's people. And he's returning to that focus. And now that we still find ourselves spread out all over the world, spread out in pockets like Tucson, Arizona, what do we do in relationship to the world that we live in? Because if we are growing in our faith, if we are becoming rooted in the word of God and we're becoming uh, bound together in the priesthood of God, that ought to influence the world. And today we're going to look at how that works in two relationships. And then next week we'll look at how that works in our own personal families. But uh, we, we do have to interact with this world. I, I sometimes look at the Amish and, and think they got it right. You know, wouldn't it be great? I'm just going to pick a century that's my favorite and lock myself in. You know? You, you don't want to go too far back in time, you know, because indoor plumbing would be part of my <laughs> desire, you know. But maybe far enough back where you can say, okay, you know, it wasn't so bad. We'll just lock ourselves in and, uh, and separate ourselves from the world. After all, Jesus says, you know, don't be of the world. Well, he also says you're in the world, you know, and that you're going to have to be salt and light. You're going to have to be the city on the hill. And so we, we can't, in my mind, just separate fully from the world. And yet we, we still have to know how to be wise in our interactions. Jesus says, be wise as serpents, but innocent as doves. So Christians, we must be willing, as we interact with our society, to submit. And this is tough, because I'm tired of submitting sometimes. I, I, I think the impression of the word submit means just let, be, be a floor mat for the world, right? That is the impression. When I, I don't like the word submit, you know, for two reasons. One, Islam means submit in Arabic, and so it just gives me a bad feeling for the word because I'm not a fan of Islam. Uh, but that's a side point. The other is that submission in our culture is not usually elevated. It's, it's not something that we strive to be. My heroes were not the submission folks. They were the, the fighters, the warriors, the ones that uh, wouldn't stand for, for anything. And I think that we, we create this opposition that doesn't really exist. Uh, in fact, it takes more strength to submit than it does to rebel. Uh, and I, I think in light of our current culture, without getting too specific, we see that we are living in a world that is uh, not following the path of Gandhi, not following the path of Martin Luther King Jr. and saying there's injustice in the world and the way that we will stand against it is we will, we will let our voices be known with in compliance of the law and we won't be violent, but we will, uh, we will be fervent and persistent in what needs to happen. It's easier to burn down a building. It's easier to scream and yell and make a scene. It's harder. It's harder to keep your cool. It's harder to have people 
do terrible things to you and you just to stand and say, uh, I'm standing for what is right, but I'm not going to violate the laws of the land. And, and so I think this is a timely message for today. The Christians in the first century were in the midst of a very similar time, especially if you were in the realm of Judea. If you recall, 70 AD is a, an important date on your calendar. In the year 70 AD, the, the great temple of King Herod, the second temple that was consecrated in 516 under the ministry of Haggai, that temple is burned and scorched to the ground. Titus comes down, Rome comes down to put down a rebellion that is being led by the Zealots. If you remember the name Zealot, we had Simon the Zealot, who was one of the uh, twelve. And the word zealot there might have meant that he came from the zealots or that he was zealous. It's hard to tell. But there was a political faction in Israel that were known as the zealots. And they were the ones that, saying, that, that, were, that were saying, God cannot be pleased with us if we allow the oppression of Rome. So we have to take up arms and drive out our oppressors. They finally got enough momentum that by about mid-60s, they had started a revolt. And it took several years, but Rome came down with their great force, and they squelched that revolt, and they, uh, in the process, stole all the goods from the temple and burned it to the ground. Peter is writing in that moment where this fervor is, is building. This is early 60s, but we're, we're less than uh, 10 years away. And for Christians, he's saying our task is not to do those things. In fact, this isn't even our land. We can't get caught up in that mentality that this is our place, and we've got to do something. We've got to, we've got to fight. Uh, we have to do what God wants us to do, and that is to be a people of submission. And sometimes submitting to God means that there is a time to fight. But submission to government is, uh, is significant, it's important, and it's part of our witness. So let's go ahead and turn to the scripture, knowing that when we don't like something in the Bible, <laughs> it's, it's on us to change. And we pray, Lord, help my attitude. <laughs> help me understand. But sometimes what you find is what you thought you didn't like really was the misunderstanding. But sometimes it's not a misunderstanding. You're just wrong. <laughs> Starting at the 11th verse. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to the governors or as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, what credit is it when you are beaten for your faults? You take it patiently. But when you do good and suffer... If you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. For to this you were called, because Christ, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth? Who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return? 
When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sin, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd, in caps, and overseer of your souls. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. A lot, a lot to cover there, but it really breaks down nicely. You know, uh, I'll tell you, preparing for a sermon, you're always trying to figure out what's the way to do things. And uh, when you have just simple imperatives, it's, it's a blessing. You know, what should I tell the church? Well, submit, submit. Good. All right. <laughs> Whew. Moving. No. <laughs> we, we have to recognize that we do stand in a continuing line and that the... the, the the Bible is consistent on this. If you go to Paul and you go to Romans, we're going to have this order of submission to the government. And you go to Peter, and it's not different. We're not going to be able to pin one apostle against the other. They, they see the same thing. And both of these men, Paul and Peter, will end up executed by the very government that they submitted to. And their message didn't change. As Christians, we are going to need to have a mindset of submission. We need to respect authority. And sometimes it appears if there's an, an opportunity to erring towards authority and erring towards uh, me wanting to feel like I'm being treated right, we will err towards submission and be mistreated. That, that's the Christian stance. And so Peter's going to break it out here. There's three ways that we have to submit. One is to God, two is to the government, and three is to our master, which in our context I've, I've, I've called that our, our employer. In most contexts we don't have slavery in America. Hooray. Thank you. Thank you, Abraham Lincoln. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> but we also find out that that submission connects us to the suffering of Christ. And so we'll look at that today. Christians, we submit first to God. Now, in my Bible, I looked and I had, you know, sometimes you get those cool headings that tell you what this is about. Um, some of my Bibles have that, some don't. But I had a Bible and it had submit to government, submit to masters. And I said, oh, that's neat. But I'm starting with submit to God. So did I... Did I eisegete? Did I read that into the text? Or is that there? Well, I think that the important thing is we, we begin at the beginning. Verse 11 and 12 says, Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. I beg you, remember what we started with. You don't belong here. You're not a citizen of this place. Maybe you have dual citizenship in some sense, but you're, you're actually going to leave this country this land, and you're going to go to be in God's land. And because of that, I'm going to give you orders here of how to act because you belong to me. We are citizens of heaven, and as such, we need to live for heaven. So this is where I see submission to God is preeminent in this whole passage. As such, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. You're going to see Peter constantly come back to this. The fleshly lust that war against the soul. Can a Christian war against their own soul? Yes. These are to Christians. Lusts of the world will war against your soul. So live for heaven, abstain from worldly lusts. And I think the big lust that is going to drive a lot of what's counter to what Peter's going to go here is a lust of pride, of self-value. And uh, you can't talk to me that way. Or you can't ask me to do those things. I remember the hardest thing I had to do when I was learning how to work is, is tell a young man that someone had thrown up in the bathroom, and I had been made supervisor of the Crossroads Movie Theater. It's now the Roadhouse. 
and I was, you know, I was a big shot. But the truth is, I hated the fact that I, I actually had a different job I had to do, and I would have rather cleaned up the nastiness in the bathroom than tell someone to do it, because that's my mentality. I hate telling people what to do. And so um, it was one of these moments where I'm like, man, you've you, you got to do that because I, I am not actually able to do that, and you can't do the job that I've been given to do. And it was tough. And you know what? The reason I had that job is I would already cleaned up messes in the past, and that's why I became a supervisor. But I, I ascended because I had submitted, and this young man actually did submit and uh, did the job, which is terrible. Now I look back, and I'm wondering if that was even sanitary and if we should have called in. <laughs> they didn't give you great training for that $6 an hour. Man, I was living, living high. Uh, we abstain from lusts. You know, when I saw that, uh, wars against your soul, I remember the words of Jesus in Mark uh, 8.36. It says, what profit does it give you to, to gain the world and lose your soul? We, we have to have an attitude. Again, our souls belong to heaven. And it, it, in being here, there's a danger and a risk at place. So first, we live for heaven and abstain from lust. We keep our conduct honorable in the world. So... Let your conduct be such that everyone looks at you, and if they bring a false accusation, it won't, it won't stick because your conduct is so good. And so we live in a way that brings honor. And despite the fact that we're living in a world that calls evil good and good evil, and we have a new story every day that makes that real, which reminds me that the last days may be coming, and if it's not the last days, it might be the last days for our country if we don't turn, they, they, there has to be... Uh, a sense that despite what the world is doing to flip the script on what has always be, been understood as right, we have to stand for what is right, as defined by our king, God. And Paul says in Romans, you know, against these things there is no law. Love, joy, peace, kindness, patience. The, the fruits of the Spirit, when we live in the Spirit, there's really nothing that the, the world can throw at us unless the govern, government becomes counter to, to God. And that's why before he gets into the submit to the government, he's establishing our citizenship is in heaven, our king is God. Therefore, as we submit to these other authorities, we know when we must break. If you've ever read the Declaration of Independence carefully, you can read that the United States of America did not lightly break with the government because they really felt as though that what God wanted and what the government was providing were at odds. And I think that case is still even hard to make sometimes. But they wrestled with it. It wasn't just, I'm mad, I'm going to have a war. And it's worth reading. We must live for heaven. We must have a conduct that is to the world that is so honorable that the world can't, can't set us down. And then, then look at what's the point. We want to witness while we're here. So... The whole point of this entire section is, remember, we're, peace, we're people of mercy who have been shown mercy. And then we see that they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So what we want is to be so good that when someone accuses us of evil, it comes back to us and, it, and they, they look into us and they're like, actually, there's nothing here. This guy is so good. How do you do that? And then they point to God and we point to God and it's a witness. And so our submission to God is going to result in a witness. And so if someone looks at your history on your IP address and they see everything that you've looked at, there's nothing there. If someone is going to look at your Facebook posts and the language used, there's nothing there. And at the end of the day, they say, how in the world is this person so clean? They must be something up. And we'd say, yes, he's up. It's, it's God. <laughs> the Holy Spirit has changed me and I'm living for holiness. And anything you find in my past, don't worry 
I, I knew it was there, too, and I've given that to the Father. Uh, Whitfield, the great evangelist in the Great Awakening, was, uh, received a letter from a critic, and they were telling him, you know, he's such a terrible person, and he's doing all these things wrong. It's always the case. You, you have great evangelists that, that people who don't share the gospel are, are, are quick to uh, criticize. And uh, Whitfield, we have a letter that he wrote back, and he said, I know, I know worse things about myself than anything you can say about me. God bless you in Christ, George Whitfield. And, and it's, it's great. You know, that's the thing. He, he wasn't upset about that. Again, we have things that we can't change about our past, but he was living in Christ for the day. And uh, so throw what you want. It won't stick. At the end of the day, I'm doing what God wants me to do, and I don't care. And in so doing, what we're going to see is that's the strength through submission to God that will lead people to Christ. So we submit first to God. It's kind of like that old battleship. And lighthouse story, right? My dad has told this one. I'm not going to go too deep into it. But there's a boat, and he sees a light, and he's honking his horn, and they're, they're, they're screening. They're saying, move, alter your course 10 degrees. And the, the other responds, move, you alter your course 10 degrees. And it responds, I'm a captain. You move your course 10 degrees. And it comes back, I'm, I'm just a lowly seaman, but move your course 10 degrees. And it comes back, I'm a battleship. Now you're going to move. And he says, I'm a lighthouse. And the battleship moves 10 degrees, right? <laughs> Alters course. <laughs> well, regardless of how good we think we are, we submit to God because he's God. He's the lighthouse. He's the source. And we get online with him. Amen. We submit to God first, but next we do submit to government. In verses 13 through 17, we are told that we must follow the laws. And not just some of them. All of the laws we follow. Law enforcers, and we do it for God's sake. Isn't that interesting? In case you're like, Lord, I don't want to do it. Do it for the Lord's sake. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. And so if you don't want to obey a law because you don't like it, do it for God's sake. This is not using the Lord's name in vain. This is not saying for God's sake in a way that's meaningless. It's if you can't find a reason, here's a reason, and it's the best. You do it for God's sake because you've already committed to being submissive to him. And so if there is a law I don't like, I follow it. And if there's a law that's stupid, if it's not immoral, I follow it. Part of the reason that we're all doing the best we can in the coronavirus deal is that we're trying to honor the law. We're trying to follow through. And, and, and depending on which group you're listening to, you know how you're going to be right if you follow the law. If you, you know, and I'm praying hard that God will come and maybe... Uh, change some rules, and I'm watching the numbers every day, and I'm hoping that this virus goes away, and I'm looking like, when do we take our masks off forever, right? And uh, when can we add more chairs to the sanctuary? And when can we get back to normal? When, do we, when can we have Sunday, Sunday again? And we can all, like, gather around the long, can you imagine today? What we did last year. Last year, we had a 50-foot banana split, and everybody going to town. <laughs> we probably started the coronavirus. <laughs> We follow the laws of the land. We, we do what we can, and we try to do it right. <laughs> this honors God because even the secular authority points to God's authority. Even the secular authority says that there is an authority. Those that wish anarchy don't understand that God is not a God of anarchy. God established Adam and Eve as a family, and that family is the, the foundational piece of a society. And multiple families, typically there's a head of the family. And, and over time, that evolves into some sort of governmental system because God is a God of order. In fact, we know that the angels are not just all equal. We have 
archangels, we have higher angels, we have cherubim, seraphim, we have different levels, and that these angels serve a function, and that when a messenger angel comes to Daniel, he wasn't able to break through until Michael the archangel came and helped him because they're not all the same power. And so God has established a structure and an order, and when we honor the government and we honor the authorities and we follow the laws, we say God's God and, and this is his creation. And if you don't like that, that means that you're not in line with God's structure. I mean, I would love it if God, well, I don't think I would love it, but many of us would just love everything to be egalitarian. We're all equal and everybody's got the same place. Well, God didn't create it that way. At the end of the day, that's not how it was created. And in heaven, it probably won't be that way. In heaven, it says that there's different levels of rewards for those that served and worked and did different things. Now, maybe that all gets handed back and we're all equal. I, I mean, I don't care if I'm a pauper in heaven. I, I'll, be, I'll be just fine. But, but we honor God by following even the secular government. As God's subjects, we remain free. This is a significant passage. I just want to read it carefully here. As, as free, not using your liberty, however, as a cloak for vice. So... Knowing that we belong to God and we live in this great society that's not ours and we're here as resident aliens and we don't want to get necessarily, we don't want to rock the boat or ruin the culture. We're going to follow God's rules and we're going to be the best citizens here that we can be. We are free in a way that other people aren't free. There are non-Christians who are not free like we're free. We have been free to do good. We have been empowered by the Spirit to do right. And we have a freedom to know that we're forgiven. And so we don't live in fear all the time. And this always seems to lead to license of vice. When, when people, there's a reason Paul has to say in Romans, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because you always have Christians who are like, well, I'm, I'm forgiven, so I guess I can sin with the best. And no, never, because that, that, that doesn't prove. <laughs> now, what Paul says is you could be forgiven for just about anything that you do. You will be. But that's not the heart. That doesn't prove that Christ is in you. Never use your freedom that you have in Christ as a license for sin, as a license for vice. And Peter has to warn us of the same thing. We remain God's subjects after all. A quote from Forsyth, the first duty of every soul is to find, its, uh, find not its freedom, but its master. What frees us to begin with is that we belong to God. And if we recognize that and that forgiveness comes, of course we're not going to sin on top of that. As resident aliens, we should be the best citizens, and then we have this great little chiasm. Honor all people, right? Honor, honor. It says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. All people, meaning the world, then we move into the church, but love the brethren. So show a deference to everybody, but have a special love for, for the church. And in the church, fear God, right? And then we go back to the world, honor the king. Honor, honor, love, fear. We have this uh, idea of we, we come out of the world, we have our special people that's represented in the church, and then we move back and we live in honor and we show deference to everyone. Outside of heaven, we submit to God and the worldly government. We also submit to our earthly masters. For most of us, this is our employers. Although I was thinking if you were in prison, perhaps it would represent maybe the, the guards or the uh, those that are taking care of you. It could go beyond our employers, but most of us aren't in jail. And <laughs> so we got to honor our bosses. Have you ever had a bad boss? Have you ever been a bad boss? Yeah. <laughs> right? Whether good or bad, 
If you've had a bad boss, uh, hopefully you were a great employee, because that's what you ought to be. But you actually have an opportunity, it says here, if you have a bad boss. If you have a boss who's up to no good and is trying to do poor things to you, it means that you actually have an opportunity. But we have to make a decision that we're going to honor our employers. We're going to do the best we can. We're not going to steal. We're not going to steal on time. We're not going to steal things. I'm not going to come home with a whole set of pens, right? All these little things. <laughs> we'll do the best we can. And we also, <laughs> uh, there's, a, there's a poem, right? I, lo I love this poem. Where our captain bids us go, tis not ours to know. He that gives the sword and shield chooses to the battlefield where we are to fight the foe. You know, there's been many a great captain who've led their men to slaughter. You go. Military tend to understand this better than we do because they've been trained for authority. But sometimes in obedience to your employer, you, you might actually march on to our foreclosure of our, our company, right? Because I had, to, I had a bad boss. But I'm going to do the best I can, and I'm going to try to be the best employee I can. If your employer mistreats you, it can actually bring God's favor. Peter says that what good does it do if your master uh, catches you doing something wrong and punishes you for it? You deserve the punishment, right? What good does it do, however, if you're being good and you're doing things right and you're mistreated? This actually brings God's favor. And this is really interesting because why? Why would it bring God's favor? Um, it, I think there's two reasons. One is God is just, and because God is just... When you're mistreated for doing right, it's going to require God to enact justice. And he'll either do it now and vindicate you today, or it's going to be on your record. And when he judges all things, it's going to show that you did right when you were treated wrong. And God is like obliged to fix that. So that's kind of cool. That's why we can be patient, by the way, when there's misdeeds today, because we know it's going to be rectified in the future. But there's a second reason. That takes us to our final point. God says, be mistreated by your employer and endure it because it connects you to Christ. And then he goes into this whole ex exposition on the suffering servant from Isaiah 53. This is one of the few places in the Bible where they just go for it. The, the greatest prophecy in the Bible of Jesus Christ is probably Isaiah, the suffering servant, uh, Isaiah 53, and that whole discussion of by his wounds we are healed. And this is the best place in all of the Bible where the apostles say this is about Jesus. And so if there was any question, well, who's the suffering servant? It's Jesus. Peter told us it's Jesus. We commit to suffering. Uh, sorry, we commit to submission, and we are naturally mistreated because bullies tend to mistreat those that are submissive, and it will happen, but that is okay because Jesus Christ suffered first. And so we move from a, a platform of submission. It probably will result in suffering, and at that point in time, we look to Jesus. He committed no sin. He committed no deceit. He returned no insult. When he was beaten, he returned no threat. This is our, our, our Lamb of God, suffering servant, right? They struck him on the face, and they plucked out his beard and said, Prophesy, who struck you? He was blindfolded, and they put the crown on his head, and they smashed it down with a rod, right? And what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When you are mistreated by the government or by your employer, we look at Christ. How do we, how do we get through this? We look at Jesus. He's our example. And then it goes further because the psalm, or sorry, Isaiah 53 doesn't end there. And it goes on and says that Christ is our sacrifice. He bore our sins. He died for our sins. And he healed our wounds. Past tense, he healed our wounds. Suffering is going to come to everyone. We might get a larger share. Oswald Chambers says it this way, suffering is the heritage of the bad 
the penitent, and the Son of God. Each one ends in a cross. Remember the three crosses. We had Christ and on either side criminals. And one was penitent and one was not. But suffering was the lot of them all. And they each end in a cross. Suffering is coming to you and I. It's, it's coming. But when it comes to us, we're prepared. Because we have an example. And then we are enabled to do what we need to do because Christ has given us a sacrifice. And then it finishes off. He remains our great witness. The very last verse, it says, He bore our sins in his own body that we, having died to sins, might live, righteous, uh, live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. It starts out with, look at how you live so that you can be a witness to the world. And so submit to the government. Submit to your employers. Submit to those in charge of you. Submit to your military supervisor. Submit to whoever God has placed in authority. And if you're to suffer for it, look to Christ, who at the end of the day remains our great witness, our great wise witness who endured the suffering so that he could take the cup that the Father had given him, go to the cross, and pay the price. And when he rose from the grave, we tricked the devil. Amen. Right? That great, the great turn of events. Who was craftier than a serpent? Jesus was. And when we live this life of submission, when we live this way, like Jesus, the tables get turned and God gets the glory. And so how will we change the world? We'll do it in a submissive way, knowing that we serve the great king and that justice will be served. And so I guess as we close, the question I have to ask is, if you're a Christian, are you? Are you living in a posture of submission? Do you pay your taxes even if you don't want to? Right? <laughs> Do you, do you follow the speed limit? That's the one that always gets me. Uh, you, know, you know that you're wrong on that sometimes because you have to tell your kids, like, well, they don't really care if you're five over. Anyway. Now I'm meddling in my own life. Uh, but we're doing our best to follow the law, to do what's right, so that if anyone comes at us, we can point to God and say, he empowers me to do right. Do you know Jesus? He empowered us. Here's how. And we become witnesses. So if you're a Christian and you're out of line, submit. Make a commitment today. And if you have never submitted to Christ and you've never given your life to God, then now is the opportunity. And so let's pray together. If you would like to know Jesus, who bore your sins on a cross, who lived the sinless life to die the perfect sacrifice and was raised from the dead to proclaim the great salvation in Christ to you, then pray this prayer with me. Father in heaven, I admit I'm a sinner. I ask for your forgiveness. Jesus, please come into my heart. Be my Lord. Be my master. Be my savior. Be my friend. I give you my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we've, we've sung a song already. Why don't we stand and close with the Lord's Prayer? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. God bless you.